Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk where we talk about all things investing. My name is Amin Reina and I'm an investment coach and the founder of Sage Investors and this is episode 70. 70. The big 7-0. It's, I'm quite astonished that I'm still doing this. Uh, and it's amazing when I started 69 episodes ago, I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do and what I was going to say. And the fact that I've been able to put 70 of these, uh, of these puppies together is uh, quite amazing. So yeah, episode 70. Welcome, welcome aboard. Um, welcome aboard to a lot of people who have been jumping aboard uh, through the podcast. As so we've been podcasting, I've been podcasting uh, Stock Talk for a little while now. So I know we've got a lot of new viewers. Oh, not new viewers. We got viewers if you're looking at the video, but we got a little, lot new uh, people uh, jumping in on the podcast right now. So welcome, welcome. I hope you find this stuff uh, interesting. Today is kind of a bit of a potpourri. I'm kind of playing a little bit of catch up because I've been kind of dedicating the last few episodes to the whole robo-advisor stuff. I kind of want to get away from that for a little bit. Um, my intention is not to talk about robo-advisors. This is not the robo-advisor podcast or uh, you know episodes of Stock Talk. More of that will come down the road. Got a little bit of a potpourri. It's a bit of a potpourri, kind of some things that I've kind of had on my uh, inbox that I've wanted to share with you. And I've just kind of let it set aside. So I want to touch base with uh, a few of them. So the first thing, want to talk about is my recent investment decisions. For those of you who, again, jumping on board, what I like to do uh, once a month is through my blog or through here at Stock Talk, um, talk about some of my most recent investment decisions that I've made personally. Uh, as an investment coach, you know, I, I teach people how to make better investment decisions. And I really feel strongly it's one thing for me to teach this stuff. Um, it's another thing to model the behavior. It's another thing to walk the talk. So once a month I post and share uh, my own investment decisions. So today I want to talk about the most recent ones that I've made um, in the previous month and you know how I, how I dealt with it and how I approached with them. This month is a little bit different in that I really didn't make any investment decisions the previous month. Uh, I did nothing. I stood pat. and. And the key, one of the key takeaways I want, you have, I want you to get out of this is that, you know what, you don't have to make investment decisions every day just for the sake of making it. Um, sometimes taking no action is just as powerful and can be just as lucrative for your portfolio as having to go out and buy and sell stocks or ETFs just for the sake of it, just because, oh, I haven't done anything, so I guess I should kind of do something and put my money to work. Sometimes, you know, it just, just doesn't make sense. For me, uh, in terms of me, the motivation for me to stand pat and to do nothing really is a product of what's been going on in, in the environment. And you know, we know what's going on with the Mad King. He's just jumped aboard. He's just taken over in the U.S. And his minions are running rampant, doing all kinds of stuff. So we've had all kinds of executive orders and travel bans and you know, repealing all kinds of previous stuff that the previous uh, president was doing and it's just creating a lot of chaos and then you have the whole Russian thing, hacking, meddling. There's just a lot of noise right now in the market and just a lot of noise and it really hasn't stopped the stock market. The stock market's just been going on up, 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 up and up despite all this stuff. But for me, to me, it's just a lot of hysteria. I just didn't feel comfortable making any decisions. I think I just needed to see, we need to get some more clarity in terms of what's going to happen. And you know what, the way this guy is working, the way the Mad King is operating with his tweets and all that stuff, you know what, we may not even get clarity for the next four years. 
Um, so it's a tough space right now to be in to try and make like conscious, solid, thoughtful investment decisions because there's just a lot of noise out there in the market. And I just, and I held back. And so one of the things I'm thinking of, and one of the things I'm start, well, I think we're starting to see now in the market, it is a little bit of clarity in terms of where decision-making is going to go. And, uh, the recent decision, um, setback for the Mad King in terms of uh, getting his healthcare, that healthcare thing uh, passed and that failure to get it held passed could be a signal um, that despite the fact that he's got, there's like a majority of Republicans in the White House and the Congress and the Senate and all that stuff, that legislation stuff may not get done, policy may not get implemented. And if that's the case, then you know what? That's what actually might be good for stocks. As much as it's weird for me to say that, um, that could be a good thing for stocks because we might see gridlock. And if we see gridlock, then you know what? I might want to be more compelled to buy U.S. stocks, even though deep down my gut is telling me these things are overpriced. And I, I've talked about this forever, and I still remain short on the S&P 500 overall. Um, it's, it wouldn't surprise me to see stock prices keep going up. So right now, I think we're starting to get some clarity a little bit in terms of how this, how this administration is going to run and the issues that it's going to face. And so it's, I'm starting to formulate some investment decisions and I think I, I could see myself making some investment decisions in the not too distant future. So in an upcoming episode of Stock Talk, I'll probably be sharing with you some of my investment decisions to make. So kind of stay tuned for that. So. In a nutshell, I really didn't do anything and I'm okay with it and it's not the end of the world and that's fine. And I was just not comfortable with the hysteria out there and the noise out there. And usually when you have a lot of noise and a lot of hysteria in the marketplace, it's not usually the good time to make a decision because chances are you're going to make a rush decision or make an emotional decision because you're just trying to keep up. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to stand back. So that's pretty much all I wanted to share with you. You can read the blog uh, on my website, sageinvestors.ca. I posted my blog there, talking a little bit more in detail about what I was thinking in terms of my investment decisions for the previous month. So that's that. Now, the rest of the, for the rest of today, I wanted to kind of hit on a couple of articles that caught my attention over the last while, and they kind of fit into this whole behavioral side of investing, this whole behavioral finance side of investing. and. One of the courses um, that I teach as part of my everyday investing program involves behavioral science and talking about all kinds of different biases that we come into conflict with on a day-to-day -day basis that really goes out of their way to screw our investment decisions and cloud our judgment. And a lot of it is driven by emotions. And so I talk about it in my, invest in my everyday investing course uh, about these, about getting people um, that I work with more aware about their emotions and more aware of these biases so they can manage them better. You may not be able to eliminate them, but you can manage them a little bit better and control them better. So that's usually what I talk about with respect to like behavioral finance. But I found a couple of really interesting articles that kind of tug into this whole behavioral side of it in terms of how we make decisions. One was an article and it comes from the Evidence-Based Investor, which is uh, run by a really cool guy named Robin Powell out in the UK. And uh, he's really one of the people who are really at the forefront of challenging a lot of the financial institutions in terms of how things have been going. And uh, it's a good website, evidence-based investing. Check it out, it's in the UK. And uh, it's a really good site to check out on. Um, so in this article, in call, this article is called, We Love Funds with Solid Sounding Names. Now, it's interesting, like, 
a lot of everything we do in business, it's about marketing. It's about selling, about getting the word, getting an image and, uh, of an idea and experience of a product and service. Investing, investment, uh, the investment industry is no different. And this article talks about a study that was done. Um, it was called Hedge Fund Flows and Name Gravitas. And it was done by Jua Jonavara, excuse me if I got the name wrong, um, pronunciation wrong, and Christian Luantou. And basically the premise of this study was saying how, and it talks, it's focused mostly on hedge funds. And it's saying how hedge fund investors can get easily swayed by something as simple as a name, a name of a hedge fund. And it, well, the article they're saying is, invest, uh, quote, Investors allocate more flows to hedge funds whose names exhibit gravitas, defined as a combination of words from geopolitics, economics, or suggesting power, authority. And these words are usually associated with weight, influence, authority, seriousness, and good judgment. So what they're saying is people tend to gravitate towards hedge funds from a hedge fund perspective to hedge funds that have really strong sounding names and use really strong, actionable kind of words. So the big, one of the common themes is, and you see a lot of in these, in these hedge funds, is the references to various materials, strong materials like titanium, chrome, steel, iron, tungsten, vendium. These tend to be, when you have these kind of names, these strong names as part of your hedge fund company or your specific hedge fund, that tends to attract more investors. Investors get attracted to these type of funds that have really strong names. So I found that really interesting. And again, it's a this is a behavioral thing. This is not about, you know, analyzing the, the this has nothing to do with fundamentals of whether how the hedge fund is run and what kind of uh, investments are they're making and how they make those hedge uh, investments or the costs associated with uh, these hedge funds. This is about just, you know, style. So style apparently is a big factor over substance for a lot of people that invest. And it's interesting because uh, based on this study, uh, the Deal Breaker website, another, again, another really interesting, if you want a good laugh, um, and some strong commentary, deal breakers, a place to go. Um, they went out through and went through a list of all a bunch of different hedge funds just to see what the names were, kind of linking with this whole premise. And look at some of the names of some of these hedge funds companies. Iron Gulch Capital. I feel like I should say this like in a Darth Vader kind of voice. Iron Gulch Capital. <sighs> Metric Ton Partners. Chiseled Investors. These are fun companies. These are mutual fund. These are hedge fund companies. Dark Matter Partners. Alpha Stone. Here's a good one. Nuclear Options. And here's the last one I want to share with you, which is kind of strange to me. The Hindenburg Group. The Hindenburg Group. Beyond what the Hindenburg is, that blimp that blew up. Oh, the humanity. Hedge fund company called Hindenburg. I don't know if that's really sending the great, great message. I think if I'm a prospective investor. I don't know if I want to put my money behind a company called the Hindenburg Group. This is a lot of bad connotations there, but yeah, it's out there. So it's really interesting that people really make decisions based on name. I mean, a while back, a few episodes, if you heard me, uh, I talk about another article that talked about how people tend to get attracted, make investment decisions based on the ticker symbol. How the ticker symbol, a properly crafted, uh, thought, thought out ticker symbol can drive people to invest in that, in that company. 
Forget about the fundamentals, forget about how the business works. If you've got a really cool ticker symbol, you can do that. Well, apparently if you've got a really strong sounding name for your company, for your, for your hedge fund company, you can draw in money. And actually they quantified it. They said here that, that giving a hedge fund a weighty sounding name would theoretically, could theoretically increase inflows by roughly $227,000 a year. 227,000, so a good hedge fund title will get you an extra 227 grand uh, in your AUM, in your assets under management. The interesting thing here is, this is focused on, focus on hedge funds, is that the main clientele for people, most people that invest in hedge funds are mostly institutional investors and you know high net worth kind of people will probably swing closer to investing with hedge funds. So if you look at the client profile of these people, these are institutional, these are people aren't idiots, right? They're smart people who have a lot of background and experience in investing. So they shouldn't really be gravitating towards these. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't, this kind of stuff um, should go by them. They shouldn't factor into how they make their decisions. But apparently these are smart, well-intentioned people, smart, well-intentioned, you know, people with a lot of letters after their name. Um, can get sucked into investing these into these kind of uh, funds purely on name, just as much as the rest of us could probably get sucked into it. So, I found that the irony there is is pretty pretty interesting. So I just wanted to share that with you. Um, and actually, the, the study actually said also went off went on a little bit further, and they found that these type of fund companies with these strong names tend to charge higher fees and they tend to underperform. So if there's a lesson out there. Um, don't go for the strong, you know, power-oriented kind of uh, fund based on their name. Go for the more docile, meek, <laughs> less unassuming kind of fund. Um, you probably have a better chance of uh, doing uh, fearless investments uh, doing better. I wouldn't hold myself to saying that, but I'm just, if you just follow this logic, that seems to be how it's going. So that's one. I found that really interesting and I thought I'd share that one with you. Second one, again, following onto this whole behavioral finance kind of theme that I'm talking about today is talking about the whole concept of meditation. There seems to be a lot, meditation seems to be becoming a bit of a thing now in the investment industry and even the CFA Institute has talked about this whole concept of how meditation, some deeper thought, deeper thinking, deeper reflection personal self-reflection, more mindfulness, people becoming more mindful is an important element. Can it be an important element in helping people making more effective investment decisions? So I found this article in the Globe and Mail up here in Canada talking about, quote, how meditation can make you a better investor. And the whole premise, again, is that if you were to sort of detach yourself um, from some of your decisions that you're about to make or trying to make and be a little bit more mindful, be a little bit more centered um, with respect to yourself, um, it's going to increase your perception and increase your intuition and ultimately, hopefully, it's going to lead you to make better investments. So that's what this article is talking about. And it's not really about a religious thing, it's really more about centering your body, centering your, your thinking um, in terms of how to do that. And which is ironic because when you think about Bay Street and Wall Street, this is sort of the you know the whole you know center of the universe with respect to you know uh, short-term thinking, you know trading, 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 you know, micro microseconds, time is money kind of mentality. And now it seems like there's now that school of thought that's kind of getting out there where you know what that just doesn't seem to 
click. And so people are looking for another way to do that. So a lot of times the whole concept of yoga now, meditation is now starting to seep its way into the investment industry. And, uh, and it's really not so much of the investment industry. I think it's basically in corporate culture now. And uh, the article talks about how one of the biggest uh, proponents of meditation um, with respect to business or investing was Steve Jobs. And what he said was he really praised the whole concept of slowing down the mind in terms of how it processes information is really a great way to improve uh, intuition and perception, self-perception. And that's uh, an element he, he wants to do it. So in terms of a takeaway of it, that, uh, in terms of how it can benefit people. Now, if, as far as I'm concerned, actually, I agree with this. This is actually, um, like I won't go out and get my yoga carpet. I don't have one, but my wife does. I have one. Uh, get on my yoga mat and sit there and just meditate purely just so I can make better investment decisions. I think there's a lot of benefits to this and I think I agree with it. And a lot of times I think um, when we're rushed to make an investment decision, we rush to it. Again, emotions are the biggest thing that really screw us up with, with respect to making investment decisions. And a lot of times it's because we rush to make that decision. What did I just talk about earlier? The fact that I, I my pre previous month, I didn't make any investment. I didn't rush to make any investment decisions despite the stupidity that's going on around us. I didn't rush to do anything. And a lot of that is just being mindful of the fact that, you know what, I don't have to make a decision. And if I do have to make a decision, I'm going to make a thoughtful decision. I'm going to evaluate, use various criteria and factors that I know of that go into making a good investment decision. I'm going to use those. And that takes time. And so I, I think the fact of uh, having some kind of outlet for us, and it doesn't have to be meditation. It could be something. It could just be going sports, playing golf, you know, just running, jogging, whatever. Some outlet that just kind of distracts you away from the decisions that you're making. allows you to think about just going for a walk around the block sometimes it just does wonders for me in terms of opening things that I just didn't see when I'm focused on trying to resolve an issue or resolving a problem. That's the whole side of it. So, and the article goes on to say, you know, put a really big caveat saying, you know, don't think that if you go meditate, you're going to make more money. It's not a sort of if then this is what's going to happen kind of thing. It's a tool, but don't expect it to be a solution. And I agree with that. Because you know what? You can do all this stuff. You can still make bad investment decisions. We are going to all make bad investment decisions. Guaranteed. All of us. Me included. So don't think of it as, as this whole concept of, of some kind of magic trick that's going to instantly overnight allow you to make better investment decisions. It's a time. It's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Investing, investing is a journey. It's a path. And it takes time. And it's a marathon. And so don't look at this as kind of like a quick fix. Um, and it talks about you know several you know well-known uh, investors out there. They talk about people like John Paul Paul Tudor Jones, uh, Ray Dalio. You know these are big ass kind of hedge fund kind of investors, successful investors, and they um, speak quite strongly about the importance of having this kind of detachment in terms of self-reflection and in making investment decisions. So I thought it was kind of cool. And uh, it talks about, you know, a bunch of people that are, you know, how they leverage this and how it's impacted them. They talk about, um, they talk about this one uh, fund manager who's, who's after they meditate or by do, incorporating this process within their, their lifestyle, they seem to be, they seem, when they start interpreting data and reading trends, they seem, those trends seem to be a lot more clearer. Um, there's more clarity and they have a, a better understanding and intuition of, of the data that they're working with and the analysis that they're undertaking. And so I think, I, I think it's true. I think at some level it is, but don't look at it as being sort of, this is the secret sauce to being, being a better investor. I think this is one element. This is one tool that you can use. 
uh, as part of not just your investing decision making, but just your life decision making. And it's stepping back from sort of the rat race, stepping back from all the noise and the hysteria and just thinking, just, just chilling, just chilling is probably just as good a thing as, as anything else. So um, again, so I thought it was interesting. I thought I'd put these ones together because I kind of lean into this whole concept of, of the behavioral side of making investment decisions. And a lot of times that's what really screws us up. And so more, more awareness of what we have in terms of our, uh, how we behave and our attitudes towards money and investing, investing, that goes a long way to how we frame our investment decision. And chances are you're gonna make better investment decisions when you have that awareness. As I said, I teach this course. I uh, it's a, one of the courses I teach in my everyday investing course is about behavioral finance, these cognitive behaviors and biases that screw us royally over when we're trying to make investment decisions. And it's part of my process, so if you feel free to go to my website, sageinvestors.ca, and check that out. Check that Everyday Investing course. I also teach a course on how to invest in ETFs. And the same kind of process that I do, a little bit more uh, smaller in scale, but um, types of things that I teach uh, as an investment coach. Probably don't even know, some of you are like, what the hell is an investment coach, what do you do? Essentially what I do, just to give you a quick um, description, a bio of what I do, what I do is I really, at the end of the day, I try to help people who want to become financially independent. The problem is, and as they try to become more financially independent, they get really frustrated. People get frustrated, they become intimidated by the whole investing process, the whole process of buying and selling stocks. And, they, and, and then also they get frustrated by the lack of success that they have in seeing their money grow. And so what I do as an investment coach is I teach people and I mentor people how to, uh, in terms of how to make better investment decisions, how to buy and sell stocks more successfully. So ultimately they can reach that goal of becoming financially independent. And so that's what I do. And if you're interested more about what I do in terms of my coaching services, my court, uh, teaching uh, services, you can check my website, sageinvestors.ca. You can follow me on Twitter. A lot of things that I talk about here, um, I uh, observations of stocks and the stock market and everything, you can find me on Twitter. My tag is at uh, sageinvestors. And uh, love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this, uh, what I talked about today, today's episode, or anything else related to investing, feel free to shout out. I'll be happy to try to answer as much as I can and give you as much clarity as I can. Uh, you can just hit me through my website and uh, sageinvestors.ca and uh, just send me an email. I'd be more than happy to answer. So that's all I got for you today. Uh, it's been another episode of Stock Talk, our 70th anniversary episode. 70 episodes, unbelievable. My name is Amin Reina. I'm an investment coach again of Sage Investors. So thank you for joining us and joining me and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Cheers.